When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the Least Talk Forever podcast. I'm your host, Spencer Lazary. With me, my co-hosts, Scott Lazary and Kyle Giles. Uh, this podcast is set to release uh, every Tuesday morning and Friday morning, uh, roughly about one hour each session, uh, where we're going to talk about prospect breakdowns, game reviews, weekly recaps, uh, going into the playoffs, playoff lineups, uh, pretty much anything at least related. Uh, some around the league news, and we might touch on some other sports around the city of Toronto. Um, let's just get into it. Which one, uh, what topic do you guys want to start with? I feel like we should start with uh, like the recent play, Matthews, the last couple games, stuff like that. And then we'll go on to the playoffs positions and who they want, who we want them to play after. Okay, sounds good. Um, so Matthews. Got his what fifty eighth goal this week? Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifty eight against Montreal. You guys, uh, take him for heart. For sure, there's definitely. Been, there's, there's been some discussion that uh, he shouldn't get the heart. It should be Shazerkin because he's putting up uh, a three or a nine thirty three save percentage. Well, there's other players in that discussion too, like McDavid, hundred point plus season again. Uh, Jonathan Huberto, most assists by a winger or left wing, right wing, whatever position he is, all time. There's other players. Like, I think Matthews deserves it, but there's still other players involved that are rightfully deserving in other fan bases' eyes. Like they'll have with every award. Um, there's obviously going to be other players involved, but when do you – he's at 58 now. We've got 10 games remaining. When do you ever see a – six? he'll get 60 easily. Um, when do you ever see a 60 – goal scorer in the league like I think last time was Steven Stamkos um yeah I, I think he's definitely worthy of it uh some people are saying like he could hit 70 I think it was Chris Johnson tweeted out like 70 is not on the question which is gonna be nuts yeah I mean he's what 10 games left I'll have to I'll have to get yep. 12 12 goals I mean he's on pace for it 68 could get 70, but I don't see him getting 70. I think he'll well, finish the, around 65. The good thing about it is, like, we play Buffalo. Although Buffalo's, like, Montreal's had our number this year um, a little bit. I mean, yeah, Anderson, Craig Anderson, 
Pardon me? Eve Montreal, two on a three. Yeah, but uh, <clears throat> I feel like Matthews could put two or three by Craig Anderson in uh, Anton Forsberg in the next two games. Well, also thought that about Arizona and their goalie stood on their head. So it's easy to say he can get the goals against goalies who aren't necessarily on good teams, but the goalie still can play well and he might not get any. A week this Tuesday, they play Philadelphia again. Yeah. So well, you never know what yeah. could happen. They got some teams coming up where he could score goals, but like there has been times in the season where you think he's going to go off and score three against Arizona, other Buffalo, other lower and bottom feeding teams, but he hasn't really done anything. But then there's times where you don't think yep. he's going to score at all against teams like Tampa or Florida, and, and he puts in a couple. So I think it'll be interesting to see how many he ends with. Yeah, that's a Leafs thing, though. Like they played down to competition when. They should be just destroying these teams. So. Do you guys think that with us getting towards the end of the year and playoffs coming, the Leafs would be resting Matthews a little bit more? So maybe instead of playing him on the ice as much as usual against these lower tier teams, um, we'd we'd be resting him a little bit more and saving his legs for the playoffs. Yeah, I uh, I think that's I think that's reasonable, but. I mean, like the guys come into his zone here the last, what, 15 games. I think that, like, how Matthews is, I think that he's going to want to keep trucking along. But on the other hand, like, maybe once he gets 65 or whatever it is, I think it's 65 that passes Ovechkin or 66. Mm-hmm. Maybe with a couple games left, they, they sit him. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what's going to end up happening is the last five or less games they're going to start sitting their star players but i don't think they should i feel like you saw with the blue jays there and they were the world series contenders after the deadline and then going into the last stretch of games they started to rest all their good guys and they crapped down and it kind of ruined their their rhythm the momentum they had so i feel like if you do do that then you'll have to find a way that those guys who aren't playing will have to they'll have to continue their rhythm into the playoffs after getting those games off where it could have the reverse effect where it hinders them they don't play as well off the break that they had, whether it's two or three games. Yeah, I feel like Matthews and Marner probably, like as much as uh, you might want to rest their legs, I I think that uh, they should just be played until the start of the playoffs. Hopefully they don't cool off and we have what happened last year. Like that's what I'm like. I think they, they'll want to play, but I think Keith and Dubis will want to sit them. But just based on the last years of playoff failure where they've choked against teams like Columbus and Montreal where they were the favorite to win. I feel like the players will want to play just so that, especially in Matthew's case where he's on the roll and it looks like he's going to continue, they'll, he'll want to play so then it doesn't affect his rhythm or the, the streak he has going on. I'd say if they, they have a solidified position, um, I don't know, let's, let's say if we had the second, second spot in our division, um, and it's guaranteed for the next last two games, then, yeah, maybe you see them not scratch Matthews or Marner, but you might see them not play as much and see a uh, an increase of, like, let's say the third liners, like the uh, David Kampf and uh, Engvall, those guys get more minutes. Um, and then you, you see the other guys, the big guys, their minutes go down a little bit. I just hope that Keith doesn't pull a Mike Babcock and overcoach in the playoffs. 
and have that situation happen. Like, if they're going to have that happen and Matthews and Marner's minutes go down, let it happen in the final stretch when they have things locked up. Don't let it happen in playoffs when you're playing Patrick Marlowe 13 minutes and Austin Matthews 17 when you're down by a goal or two, you know? And it seems like that is kind of his style, and maybe this is just me, but when they're down a goal late in the game or they're down multiple goals late in the game, he doesn't put out the best players. He puts out the third line guys who just try to kill time off the clock so that the game can end. Like, uh, what, what game was it there a couple weeks ago where they were down by two, I think, in the final five minutes? And instead of putting out Roland the Matthews and Nylander Tavares lines, they put out the David Camp. This was before Nylander was demoted to the third, but they put out the Camp line and then the Spets and Simmons line. And it was just Toronto hemmed in their zone. And it kind of defeated the purpose of trying to make a comeback. When you're playing the lesser third, fourth role player guys over your star players who you would know would score in those situations. Yeah. I I think in terms of Nylander's demotion that you mentioned, I think that I mean, I like the power play. Top power play unit is is good, obviously the best in the league. But I think Nylander on the on the on the second pairing with a guy like Spezza and Ingval or whomever you're putting out there, I think he could he could get all maybe a little less touch, but more potentially more goals. Like he could be thirty-five goals if he had a second power play unit. But on the other hand of that, are you taking an extra twenty seconds off the Matthews power play unit to put him on it? Like, what do you guys think going in the playoffs? If their if their power play falters, would you demote Nylander to the second unit? I'd I'd probably try and do that. There's a lot of skill on that top power play unit, so I'd try and split that between the two. I've always thought. Why don't you put Michael Bunting on the front, uh, on the top power play unit, because of how much chemistry he has with Marner and Matthews, and that'll give Tavares more of a shooting opportunity. He, you don't have to park Tavares in front of the net. You can just put Bunting right in there, and I don't know. Yeah, I think I think Nylander, um, Nylander on the second would be much better. It gives more. There's a lot of sh- shooters in that first first power play, so I mean. Yeah, definitely add to uh, add to that second power play unit because that second power play unit, in my opinion, it's not not the strongest. But and again, you're not supposed to have <laughs> what teams do have two strong power play units, right? So, oh, second power play unit is literally worth like five million dollars. Like that's probably the cheapest option. Like this is talked about Justin Bourne and Nick Kipper's show. Like that's the cheapest power play unit probably in the league, and they still produce. Like when they're out there, they're still having teams in their zone, so well, they must be buying into the to the power play. They they play what 30, 35 seconds. Like on a good when the power play is rolling, the top pair or the top line with all the the big five, they play a minute and a half to full two minutes sometimes. So you don't really need to spend the money on a second power play unit when you have your five best players on the top one who, based on this season, can put it in relatively easy. I would go all out and just Ovechkin with Matthews. I would just play in the full two minutes on both units. He's the best. He's the best shooter in the team. I know, like Keith will bench you if you don't come off for the full two minutes, like he did. Split on Matthews and Marner, but uh, if you I'm put Matthews on both, well, me either. But if you put Matthews on both power play units and have Nylander Tavares on the second and and whomever Marner and whomever on the first, like. Mm-hmm. I think it gives 
Tavares also like he barely touches the puck. He just parks in front of the net. I mean, again, you don't want to mess up the chemistry that they have and the the role they've been on. Like last year, they were the top power play, but then when they switched it up, they kind of fell off and they finished what fifth, sixth best power play in the league after that. But I mean, if you do want to take Nylander or Tavares off, then I think moving Bunting, Bunting or Spezza or even Mikheyev, he's been playing pretty well lately. And or then Simmons. they could be, or Simmons, yeah, they could be the the diggers, front net guys, and then that yeah. leaves Marner, Matthews to shoot, and then on the second one you have Nylander, Tavares, who to that. I would also throw Giordano on the top power play unit instead of Riley. You see that like that pass on the fifty fifth goal of for Matthews. Like that pass was was like a give and go in no time. Riley holds the puck for longer. He waits a little bit longer to see the zone. Like Giordano just seems to snap off the pass to the nearest guy, and it seems to work. Giordano's always been a pretty solid playmaker, and I've noticed now at his age, I think he's thirty eight or something. Um, he's he's really cautious with the puck, so I feel like being on the power play, um, him being the the main defenseman on the power play, I feel like he'd be a good centerpiece for them. That's good. Obviously, Morgan Riley, he shoots, but, I mean, to have that second option as a shot from the point, to, to get Tavares more touches rather than just always the Matthews or Marner on the, on the, on the sidewall, it would open up a little bit more of an old-school approach. And I feel like Riley's stuck in that situation where he does want to shoot it, but he also knows that he would like everybody wants him to get the puck to Marner or Matthews to make a nice play and pass in the case of Marner goal in the case of Matthews. I think the hesitancy comes when he knows that he wants to shoot it and he second guesses himself because he also knows that he has to try to get it to those guys to try to make a play. Whereas Giordano, I feel like he'd be more in line with just holding the point and getting it to them and then shoot when he has to, unlike Riley who would want to shoot more but knows he necessarily can't. So you guys would switch um, switch Giordano uh, and let's say Bunting with Nylander and Riley just to split up the skill set of the, the guys and the power play unit? Yeah, but only if the power play is faltering. Like in the playoffs, if things get a little dicey, then yeah. But I mean, right now, you might as well just roll with what's working. Um, they're the best power play in the league by, I think, a half or full percentage now. So you might as well just keep with what's going on. But eventually in the playoffs, when things are tighter and there's more checking and more man-to-man coverage, like if the pass isn't there to Marner or Matthews and it's getting picked off on the cycle to, to Nylander and Tavares is just parked on front of the net, is, is Riley going to shoot like Scott said or is he going to be more inclined to try to do what people want him to do and get the puck to Matthews or Marner? Yeah, well, there was a couple of plays in the game against Montreal where he kind of like double pumped, where you knew he was looking to shoot, but then, like I said, he set, looks like he second guess himself, but then he'd pass it off, and they did the usual pass it around, try to cycle it around until one of them gets open for a shot. But um, yeah, I, I don't think you necessarily have to list a certain player. They could do like what they do with the power play, where if someone's having a good game, they could just throw them out there on that spot, whether it's Engvall, Mikheyev, any of the other depth guys. So you don't necessarily have to do Giordano and Bunting each time. You could do Mikheyev, Engvall, or Mikheyev, 
uh, if Brody's having a good game, you could throw him out there to. So I feel like the where they come in with the penalty kill, where it's sometimes it's Nylander, sometimes it's Marner, sometimes it's et cetera, et cetera. They could do that with the power play as well. Then that gives the guys, top guys, the chance to split up and be the center instead of, like Spencer said, Tavares just standing in front of the net waiting for something to happen. Yeah, I can kind of feel bad for the guy. He just stand there getting bullied in front of the net. I mean, obviously that's his job. We we know that, but like, unless he's going to tip or rebound, or he moves over and someone finds him on the open side of the net, like he barely is touching the puck. Like they don't even do the bumper play anymore, where they pass it to him and he kind of passes it back to the slot for Matthews or Marner to let it rip. Like just passing around the inside, that's because teams are trying to catch on to what they're doing. Mm-hmm. Feel bad for the guy. But then you'd also have the flip side of that, where if you do split them up, then it would be easier for them to cover Matthews and Marner because everybody knows for sure that it's going to them. It'd be easier for them to cover Tavares Nylander because they'd be the center focus, right? If you have five guys who are all offensive, offensively minded, then it's harder to tell. I mean, and usually it does go to Matthews for a shot or Marner for a pass, but there is times where Nylander gets the goal, Tavares gets the puck, uh, Riley looks to shoot. So it kind of keeps everybody off focus on the penalty kill side when you have five guys who can score, shoot, pass. Sometimes I do think that they they can be a little bit predictable with regards to what's going to happen on the power play unit, and that's why, I don't know, I think they need to need to start trying new things like giving Tavares the, the puck or like Spencer was saying, like give um, put Tavares in the bumper and he can – he can let his shot go. He has a good shot, but doesn't really get to use it as much now that you've got these big shooters on the team. So I feel like something like that needs to change. And Tavares should start should start shooting more because when he's on the power play, all he's getting is these these garbage goals. Not that they're a bad thing or anything, but um, you should try some new things because he's they're predictable sometimes. Yeah, and I mean like. Obviously, as we mentioned, they're the best power play in the league. But like my worry is when the playoff comes, like when that time is is coming and and the refs aren't calling as many power plays, and you get out there for one or two power plays a game, and you're doing the same thing over and over again, and it's it's basically killing your momentum that you've had. Like, is Keith just gonna do the same thing that he usually does, and that's just roll out the same, or like is he actually going to is he actually going to change it? Make some adjustments. Maybe throw Sandine if he's healthy for the power or for the playoffs out there. Like, what changes can be made to to counteract that? Because we've seen that now, what five years in a row, that it's just been overcoached and that, like Kyle said, the team comes too too predictable. Yeah, and judging from the last, well, I mean, it didn't really happen a lot in Montreal because. Maybe not Dallas either because they control most of that game in Dallas. But the game against Florida, specifically I saw where he was switching up the pairing, the line combinations to try to get everybody going when Florida had all the momentum and was shooting back up. And I don't see why he couldn't do that in the playoffs, whether it's power play or not. If it's not working, then and you know the team's history of losing, the recent history, of first-round losses, the 65 plus, or 60, around 65 years of not a Stanley Cup, then I think eventually he'd have to realize that you would need to do something if your power play isn't clicking. You'd have to switch it up to get the momentum back. And I 
judging from that game in Florida, it seems like he's more than willing to do it. It's just a matter of when the time comes, will he do it? Exactly. Like, we know that they'll change things up if, they, if they're if they not working. Like, he obviously demoted Nylanders. He changes the Kerfoot, Tavares, whomever's on that line every two shifts. But I'm just worried that it's going to be the same old song and dance with the Leafs in the playoffs when they push comes to shove and you need a goal or you're on, you know, you're on the defense or you're killing off the, you know, you're defending a goal or two lead in the final couple minutes of a game. Are you, are you going to be putting out Justin Hall and Jake Muzzin or are you going to be putting out Giordano and Morgan Riley? Let's hope they don't put out Muzzin Hall because that would be brutal. <laughs> Muzzin's been not as bad since he returned, but I mean, Uh-oh. Justin Hall, like that guy is just so bad. Yeah, it's I I don't even, he must have something on them. Like he must have some kind of advantage or edge or, or or some kind of in with the coaching and GM staff because like he makes so many mistakes in a game. And for some reason they're just they tell him as the greatest defensive defenseman in the league when that just isn't the case. And you could easily point out ten plus times a game where he's out of position or makes a bad play and it's brutal. Yeah, if you if you really watch Justin Hall, the little things that he does, it's it all adds up. And until you look at him, and if you just watch him for let's let's say a minute on his shift, there's usually a lot of a lot of little details that'll add up. And any fast guy that you're throwing out there against that pairing, I hate to say it, but if if they got a clear stretch, they're they're just blowing by Justin Hall or Muzzin and. They're okay in the defensive zone sometimes, sometimes, but it's it's a little bit concerning when they're they're on the ice against a, a top line or the, something happens. And they're only okay sometimes when it's in the corner. Like that's where Justin Hall. He either stands four or five feet in front of his net, his own net, and he's doing that one leg down, open leg, trying to get the the, the puck to go off of him. Or he's in the corner just pushing the guy up against the boards, what should be a holding call, and then he's out of position because he's too slow to get back. Or the third option, just ask Peter Mrazek, pushing him into the corner. For some reason, he's clearing his own crease with his goalie. No one else is in there but him and his goalie, and he's pushing the goalie. Like After that, like that's one of the times when other players on the bench should be doing what Austin Matthews did earlier this season and just yell at him on the bench to get the coaching staff to realize like maybe it's time to take this guy out. Well, back to Kyle's point of the fast guys blowing by them, it, it happened in the Montreal game. Who was it? It was either Gallagher or Suzuki, where they chipped it past Hall, like one of the other Montreal players, and then the guy just used the speed to blow right by him. And he, by the time he turned around, the guy was already like at the net shooting it. So I, I think come playoffs more uh, seriously, he, I think he'll become more of a, li- a liability for them winning if he can't defend speed guys or he's body checking his own goalie and and clearing the goalie out of the net but like does Lilligren get put in like obviously someone has to be sad right now so they're, they're sitting and I, I saw on twitter some people are saying you know Sheldon Keith wants to try Justin all on the top penalty kill and not that he doesn't play the penalty kill and, and to see what he can bring but like Lilligren and Giordano have been Fairly stable, and and Giordano can teach Lilligren 
more the defensive aspects of the game. So then he can be a for a forever partner with Sandine on the Leafs. You got your offensive and your defensive defenseman. But it seems Lilligrand and Sandine are gonna be sad again because Justin Hall and these in my opinion, Justin Hall needs to be sad going into the playoffs. Yeah, and and those two together, you you can't be playing them in the playoffs. You need to add some some speed with uh, with one of those big bodies if you're gonna be playing them. So a guy like if you were to put Sandine with Hall, I think that'd be okay. Um, just because Sandine, yes, he some sometimes can be pretty offensive minded, but Justin Hall typically isn't the most offensive defenseman but you you need to mix and match because those two together are just they're way too slow and if you're going to be facing a team like Tampa you're just going to have these guys blow by them and it's just not going to work out uh speaking about um Sandine uh, anyone know how long he's going to be till he comes back like they said it was a knee injury, but no one ever really set the timetable. Back to that Sandine note, it uh, it looks as though the earliest that he could return would be this uh, this week against Washington. That would be the minimum of ten games and twenty four oh, yeah. minutes. Because he got put on the LTIR, right? Yeah. So it could be Washington, but I feel like with a guy like. Sandine, who's it's a knee injury, so um, he, he could they could be seeing him a little bit longer. They want to wait till he's 100% healthy. And plus, right now, with all these this defensive depth they have, um, I'm sure they're in no rush to force him back in. And then Andre Kasha, I mean, with his concussion issues, he's probably obviously a little bit more of a uh, uh, a liability for the Leafs and making sure that he's 100% healthy. But like, I I feel like Toronto's going to miss him in the playoffs when like Abrazi. I don't I don't see him necessarily getting a chance if they're playing Boston in the playoffs. I don't see him necessarily getting a chance in the playoffs. But like Clifford Simmons, Spezza, Blackwell, if you threw Ingall on that line and added Cash on the third, I think that'd be even more depth that Toronto could use. Yeah, you need to be throwing out big bodies against any of these teams, whether it's Tampa, Boston. They've all got big teams, and they've all got these tough guys, and they all hit like crazy. You need to be throwing Clifford in there. You can't be putting a young rookie rookie in there in the playoffs. I understand they wanted to to see how he is this year um, and get him some experience. They've got him that. So now let's let's move on to the big guys and, and show that uh, – show teams what we're in for. I, I I agree, especially in the playoffs when things are called a little tighter. Um, I, I, you'd have to think that he's starting the year in the AHL next year. Um, I, I think Matthew Nyes is going back to Minnesota State or whatever, but you got to think that Iberzizi is going to get a little more acclimated with the system in the minors, playing the top line with Nick Robertson maybe, depending on if Nick Robertson makes the team. But you guys noticed that Nick Robertson was all the hype during the pandemic, like going into that uh, bubble playoff. And now he's fallen on a favor, and now we're into Nick Gabrizizi. And then he's going to fall on a favor to Matthew Nyes. Like, is Strong actually going to do anything with these prospects? Besides Matthew Nyes, obviously, he's 
he's a diamond in the rough, I think. But like, I hope that these guys don't just sit in the minors and and waste away. So then they can go on and sign a uh, like a Wayne Simmons for three years and have him and sit sit in their their press box while you know, like he, they should be allowing these young guys to play at some point. Well, I mean, I think it depends on who comes back next year. And obviously, though, I think they're, what, 1.3 in cap space? And I don't think Morazic's coming back. And I don't, I mean, unless Kasher can get healthy again, but I, I don't think they'll want to take a chance on him. Well, he's an I mean, RFA, first... so. Oh, is he? Like, Yeah, like if he's an RFA, then, I mean, it's up to Toronto, really. Like, they could trade his rights or he could sign an offer sheet, but. Yeah, right. Do you is really that, is that want to take like he's been playing well, but do you want to take the chance? Like if he's yeah. three weeks into the season and then he gets hurt again, to me that's just a waste of money. And then that's his what fifth concussion in the last four years, fourth concussion, something like that. Yeah. So I, I don't think he's like he's been playing well, but I don't think you want to take the chance on on that injury prone player when you could have a guy, even if he's playing fourth line minutes in Abruzzi or. Nick Robertson, who, if given the chance, could show that they could put up just as much points as him, or even more if they, if they produce. But I, I feel like it's just who you're getting rid of. Like, is Simmons coming back? Is Clifford coming back? Is that's possible? Like, right. Simmons will be back. He's on a uh, a two year contract, but yeah, yeah, but yeah, but he grew up as a, he grew up as a Detroit fan, and Detroit has cap space. And he's so. not doing as well this year as he did last year. And he has been scratched every couple games, every third game, whatever, in the yeah, last couple and, weeks. And Clifford, he signed like three years here. But I think that's just because. Like, yeah, but you could also just stick him in the minors. Exactly. Like, he's from but here. Like, kids like it here. So I think it's just more like end of his career. Yeah. I feel like if there's if there's space for them, then I think that they're more than likely. Maybe Robertson more than ever is going to make the team. but. I feel like they're going to probably start the year in the minors, and then if they're producing down there, then they'll be given another chance to come up, and and hopefully they could stick this time because Robertson's been up and down the last couple of years and hasn't really done much. Yeah, Toronto sees him as one-dimensional. Um, I've heard that a few times, and apparently this year they're trying to get him uh, a little bit more adjusted to uh, like a, a more diverse role. I saw him play in the Marlies, like at the game live, and, and he seemed to do um, a little bit more than what you see on on the TV. But I mean, he's also playing top line minutes for the Toronto Marlies and seven minutes a game for the Leafs. So, what can he really get done? Um, but I also think that Toronto like lost the chance if they're going to trade him. They lost the chance to get full value. If you know what I mean, like they're well, going to trade him. They should have done it a year ago rather than let him stew in the minors. Yeah, now that he's been up the couple of times, like what's it been, like three stints now, where he's been back and forth, back and forth. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you. His value's, his value's gone down for sure compared to uh, how it was before. But I think he's they still consider him our, our, top, uh, our top prospect, right? So, I mean, in the Marlies, yeah. The top prospect on the lease right now is probably Tipo Nimula or Topi Nimula from the Finnish league, right-handed shot, playing with men, like second or third in points and among defense. 
I think that there's still teams out there who you could probably swindle a, a, a good enough deal with. Oh, yeah, I agree. Like, I just mean, like... His career isn't ruined by any stretch of the imagination. And it wouldn't be the yeah. first time that a 22-year-old hasn't made a team and then got traded and then turned out to be a solid depth or middle-of-the-pack NHL player. I feel like there could be, or there is, teams that would still be willing to... Maybe not as much as what he was a couple of years ago, like you said, but you could probably still get a good, solid package for him if you were willing to trade him. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying that they were going to get Steven Stamkos for him a couple of years ago. Oh, but no, I no. mean, like they could have got potentially a first and a prospect. Now, I I, I just think it's going to probably be a depth player and, and a prospect if the trip. I'm not saying like I haven't heard anything. I listen to podcasts all day long. I haven't heard any kind of speculation that they're going to get traded. But I did hear on 32 Thoughts that he's having a hard time because his brother is doing well for Dallas, and he's having a hard time adjusting to the fact that that was height that he was supposed to get yeah that just i think that comes with age though when you're older i think he'll develop onto that but i think that's kind of a a weird i wouldn't say excuse but but that's the word i thought of to show how bad your playing is because your brother's getting more attention than you because he's playing better i think in my case if that was me i think that would make me want to play harder so that i could prove that i'm better than he is not yeah not falter off and and up and down between the minors. I mean, yeah. If me and you were both in the NHL and you're and you're kicking ass, I definitely wouldn't be jealous. I'd probably say I mean, yeah, dinner on you. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy. I would say dinner on you all the time. But uh, I I I listened to um, the Third Two Thoughts uh, podcast with them on it. Jason Robertson, and he seemed very humble. So I, I don't imagine that he's like thrown it in Nick's face that he's he's kicking ass and Nick's in the Marlies. I think it's more just Nick is in the Mecca of hockey, you know? Nick's in big market. He was posting videos on Instagram, Twitter, and people are eating it up. And now he's now he's Nick who, you know? Yeah. And Dallas is that they're, they're, at a completely different stage than the the Leafs are right now. Like Dallas is, they can compete, but if they're going to get in as a playoff team, they're going to be getting in against one of the best teams. And they're, they've got two solid lines, but after that, it's, they don't have much depth. So Jason Robertson, he's, he's produced pretty well on a line with Rupe Hintz and uh, Joe Pavelski. And that that line's actually ended up being their top line. So I get Nick Robinson, Robertson, he might be thinking, oh, yeah, like my brother's doing this. Like, why am I not doing this? Like, he's just got to keep his head up at this point because he's in Toronto here. He's not going to he's not going to be on the, the top line right away. Like, I know they tried that. What was it last year against uh, or two years ago in the in the playoffs against Columbus? They tried him and he was up near the top line but yeah he's got nothing to nothing to be con- too concerned about i don't think it's just a tough toronto market and and also he's had a lot of injuries like he had a leg injury last year against uh, uh montreal i'm pretty sure or maybe that was this year one of the two he had an injury against montreal and in the, in the nhl and then i think he like broke his leg or something like that so you're gonna miss time but i mean no one expected him to uh like I personally didn't expect him not to be on the team. I mean, I can't speak for everyone, but I thought he would have been 
slot on the third or second line, uh, putting up 20, 30 points. But it seems maybe the success of his brother is really eating him. And in that case, uh, maybe Toronto should send to a sports psychologist. Uh, I don't know. Like, it just seems weird that he would be, I don't know, publicly saying that or, or just it, it was found out that he was thinking that when he hasn't really been given too much of a shot to make the NHL. He's been here games here and there. But I don't know why he would be, like, like the comparison between his brother and maybe it is the market and the, the, the fans who, who, with social media nowadays, have more of a voice and can and message or, or, or talk to him more directly. But maybe that's just me, but I don't think that that should be crossing your mind in, in a situation where you're still trying to make the team and your brother solidify himself as Dallas's, one of Dallas's best players. Where if you were in the same situation, you probably would have maybe not produced as much, but still produced on a level where you would stay in the NHL. Whereas in Toronto, you're a depth guy for now. And you just kind of have to accept that until you produce and are given a new role. In a sense, it also kind of works out for the Leafs, though. And and touching on the point that you made, I I haven't heard him like he wasn't on the podcast saying that that was just uh, brought on by Elliot Freeman and Jeff Merrick. But um, yeah, like it kind of works out in Toronto's favor that if by chance he does have a decent season next year and his entry level contracts up next year, the year after, then they can get him on a bridge deal. And then if his value goes up, trade him before or make space for him. Maybe he takes over Nylander's spot in a couple of years as being that extra star that we have. But yeah, I think kind of worked out the way that they did it with Sandy and Lilligren, potentially Robertson, with kind of unfortunately burying them a little bit and then getting them on a bridge deals. Yeah, and then they're finally given a shot to show they can play and then they have maybe not solidified, but they've shown that they can be at least bottom pair uh, fourth defenseman on the, on the Leafs over some of the other players who weren't necessarily putting up the production or showing that they could, and then they had to be moved, like uh, Travis Dermott. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't even caught anything that Travis Dermott has done, is, uh, done in Vancouver, so I can't say that it was just because he was uh, an extra. But, I mean, like, when he got drafted, I'm pretty sure he fell in the draft because of play or ego or whatever the situation was. So, um, Who, Robertson? No, Dermot. Like, oh. I, I think I read somewhere that there's, like, an issue with him, whether in the first eligible year of draft or the second or, or the round that he got selected in. But he just seemed overconfident to the point that he, he wasn't good made a stupid mistake in the playoffs that cost us a game. Yeah, and then, I mean, the other stupid mistake that came with that is uh, now like the third-line center on Arizona. So, um, The other thing I wanted to touch on was um, uh, the the fan appreciation practice that they had yesterday. Rick Five was there, Corey Salming. Rick, if you do listen to this podcast, I know you follow the Instagram. Please message me. We could try and get you on. That'd be so cool to have you on. Uh, Leafs legend. A lot of people forget about him when they're talking about uh, Leafs alumni. Uh, 
I mean, obviously not now because there's been a lot of talk about him, but most people don't even realize yeah, but, that he scored 53 times. Yeah, and now he'll just be the guy Matthews passed, more than likely to some fans. The former season leader in goals, he'll be the, the guy Matthews had to beat to become the greatest lead of all time. And and again, like people people seem to forget that he did that three times. He scored fifty in three consecutive years, didn't he? Uh, uh, I think three, and then Andrew Chuck did it twice, right? And then, I think, uh, yeah, but but I think one of Andrew Chuck's years was half with uh, another team. Yeah, Buffalo. Yeah, but I, I actually talked to Rick Vibe. Ninety three, ninety four with Buffalo. Yeah. Yeah, I actually talked to Rick Vibe one time on Instagram, and I tried to meet him. Uh, at the alumni game in the city that we live in. Um, but uh, he didn't come to the bar that they were at fast enough. So I met Nick Inchboff, which was also cool. He also follows the, uh, the Instagram page. But, um, yeah, I wish I wish Rick Vibe would have been there. Well, Seems like a super cool dude. I don't think it's just Rick Vibe that gets overshadowed or, or ignored from Leafs history. There's a lot of Leafs legends who are – yeah, most newer fans or or recent fans don't necessarily know them or talk about them because they played sixty years ago or seventy years ago, or like they're just obscure names in the history of NHL now. So most recent fans don't really care to talk about them. But there is a lot who are passed over or not talked about because of that. Yeah, like our good buddy Aki Burt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's Justin a, Hall before he's Justin Hall. <laughs> yeah. Or the good buddy Bates Battaglia. Yeah. Or, a uh, good play. Amazing Race winner, I'm pretty sure. Him and his uh, brother. That's kind of cool. Never won anything in the NHL, though. Yeah, but I was talking more like like old school, like Charlie Conacher or or Silaps, not players from 2006. And, of course, the most... Uh, Notable leaf of all time, Thomas Carberry. He also, I don't think he actually follows the Instagram, but he he's he's been active on it sometimes, which is kind of cool. He's my favorite hockey player. Kyle, who's your favorite leaf or hockey player of all time? I I like to think mine was was Matt Sundin. He was growing up. He was probably biggest uh, biggest leaf that I. Was a fan of. Um, I liked Andropov as well. He was, he was pretty good. Um, but yeah, that was back when it, when I was like six or seven, seven or eight. So I was watching Hockey Night in Canada every Saturday with the parents, and those would probably be my favorite too. Yeah, Andropov, Bonkarovsky, Sundin, great line. Scott, who's your favorite leaf? Or play? I know your favorite player is Wayne Gretzky, but favorite leaf all time. Yeah, I don't know. I I like. I don't really have a favorite, but I like the most some players from that Sundin era, like Gary Roberts, uh, Matt uh, Sundin. Yeah, probably Sundin Roberts, one of those two. Yeah, McGillney. Uh, Gary Roberts. Oh, McGillney. Yeah. Go new and Yeah, I liked McGillney too. I also like Steve Thomas. Yeah. Um, and then Darcy Tucker, Shane Corson. Yeah. Darcy Tucker. Some people would consider a top fifty all time. They didn't really play on the Leafs that long to be considered the greatest of all time. Yeah, I mean, uh, Darcy Tucker played what ten years, twelve years for the Leafs. Uh, yeah, he was the original Michael Bunting man. 
Like he was the original Leafs Michael Bunting. Get under player space. Yeah. I think that's a good comparison, actually. My like he'd he'd kind of be like a like a pest, right? He'd be like a thorn in your in your back and he'd yeah. uh, this is a little tougher than bunting, obviously, but uh Yeah, he, he definitely was tougher. Psychopath, I I, I swear. Uh, he's just got a smile on his face while he's fighting or while he's bleeding. And seems seems like a crazy dude. Wouldn't want to mess with him. Shane Corson was also uh, Shane Corson and Stecker also played for uh, Montreal too, which I thought was surprising. I didn't realize that. Yeah, and now Shane they're like brothers-in-law. Didn't Corson play for Montreal before he came to the Leafs? Yeah, so I mean, but I mean, like, like that was the team that he came from. Was Montreal, wasn't it? Uh, I think so. Uh, yeah, I think. And then he also played for Dallas. It could have been actually Dallas before the Leafs. I don't know. Um, but we have to get to our sponsors. So let me uh, throw this uh, sponsorship opportunity that we have. Uh, so it's from BetUS. BetUS has all your NHL, NBA, UFC, PGA, and yes, NFL betting lineups. For their 27th year of live betting, sign up for betus.com with promo code RINK for up to 125% signing bonus. Again, use the promo code RINK for 125% signing bonus. I mean, obviously, that's not 100% eligible for people in Canada. I don't know how it works. I don't know because betting is now legal in Ontario. I don't know if you can use that, but uh, still give it a try 125% off with a promo. Take it. Win some money, send it to us. Speaking <laughs> of us sending it to us, we have links in our Twitter and Instagram. Twitter handle at um, Leafs Forever Pod, Instagram handle at Leafs Talk Forever. Uh, in there, you'll see the sponsored links. And we're just asking for like a dollar to donation. We're going to turn that money back into giveaways, uh, Leafs jerseys. Uh, we're going to have our own merch. Part, this is also a partnership we should add. I, I totally forgot, but it's actually a partnership with Inside the Rink. Uh, follow them on Instagram, follow them on Twitter, follow them on Facebook. Uh, go to their website. We'll be sharing the link to the podcast page. Uh, we'll have merch with them. I mean, obviously not super high quality um, uh, giveaways to start, but I mean, a leaf shirt uh, that we'll ship to you and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, so we'll definitely be thankful if you guys can donate anything um and then any money that we make off t-shirts and, and sweaters when we when we get the the profits from that we'll turn that back into donations for you guys we'll have giveaways on twitter so stay tuned turn on the notifications for that um and lastly guest appearances i mean obviously i already tried to plug the rick five one hopefully he sees this um we have to go through a process with inside the rink first but uh, definitely be cool to have even a 10-minute interview where we just ask a couple questions, let them speak on their time playing for the Leafs uh, or in the NHL at all. Uh, but, yeah, we're pretty much open to anything. One dollar, that's all, really. Um, and before we wrap up here, we've got a few more minutes. So uh, any you guys got any other topics you want to discuss? Uh, yes, actually. The 50 and 50 debacle because – all over Twitter, I'm seeing people say that Matthews scoring 51 goals in the last 50 games shouldn't count as 50 and 50 because it was in front of the start of the year. 
and they're posting clips from Wikipedia or other websites that they've seen that lists it has to be from the start of the year. And I think that's just ludicrous. I think that shouldn't matter when in the season it happens. If he scores 50 goals in a stretch of 50 games in the season, it doesn't happen very often. So why are you trying to knock it from happening? Just I don't like I don't get it why there it shouldn't count when like when was the last time it happened it hasn't happened in years why wouldn't Jealousy. anybody be excited Jealousy but when it when it comes to Matthews it's always it's always an issue everyone always has an issue with it I don't know if it's yeah like you guys are saying I don't know if it's they don't want this to be achieved because of it being. Matthews or Toronto or I don't know what it is, but um, yeah, it's it's fifty and fifty there. So I don't I don't understand the the problem that people are having with this. Yeah, they're like it has to be from the team's first fifty goals or games of the year, but then the last one to do it, Mary Lemieux, didn't he do it in his team's first fifty nine games? So, like, why would that one count, but Matthews doesn't because? He did it in 62 games or 50 of 62 instead of the first 50. I don't know. I just don't understand why people are trying to knock the accomplishment when it hasn't happened in 27 years. Well, like, I don't it Just it, it, you're right, Scott. Baffles me that people are, are really knocking this 50 and 50, regardless of if it's one to 50 games or if it happens throughout the season, that's still impressive that he's doing something that hasn't been done in 26 years. And being an elite company, Marilyn Lemieux, who wouldn't want your name tied to that guy? Yeah, like, and it wasn't even, like, the 50-50 is just the recent bias. Like, when he scored his, what, 50, 50th goal on the empty net, and everybody's like, oh, but, it, like, it was on an empty net, so who cares? Like, he scored 50 goals in a season. Like, why... That's an accomplishment. Why are you? Is, like, I don't get why other fan bases, people on social media, are ripping on the guy because he's setting these records or making these accomplishments that don't happen very often. I, I don't. I just don't get it. I I can only I can only think it's just jealousy. I mean, if it was Drysdale yeah, doing it, jealousy of what? You still have two hundred point players in case of some Edmonton fans. If you still in Montreal, if it's Montreal fans, you have Suzuki and Caulfield to look forward to. Ottawa has Tufil and and Thomas Shabbat and and all the other guys they have. Like Calgary has, has Johnny Goodrell. Yeah, and he's like gonna break the record or tie the record for most even strength points. Oh, really? Like Huberto just set the record for most assists by uh whatever he is right wing, and everybody had nothing but praise for the guy. And then Matthews sets the record for most goals in a season by a Leaf, and everybody's ripping on him. Yeah, I, that it, I mean, most Leaf fans make me mad, um, but I think the thing that makes me the most mad about being a Leafs fan is the other fan bases when something happens that that uh, is, looks promising for us. It's always like there's some kind of asterisk beside it because we're the Leafs. And then when you try to prove them wrong, it's just 1967. And you're like, oh, buddy, how original. Haven't heard that one 800 times. Yeah. Oh, if Toronto faces uh, Boston in the first round, uh, there's Q the Ducks podcast, I believe that's what they're called. Uh, follow them on uh, Twitter, too. But we're going to have them on. I was on theirs. They'll come on ours. And that'll be fun. 
I had fun on there. I wouldn't probably have have fun too much too much fun on like a Winnipeg or Edmonton podcast. <laughs> Let's talk about the Canadian teams for a second. Calgary has what eighty nine points, ninety one points. That's like fifth in the East. Everyone's freaking out over that division. Ninety seven points. Calgary. Calgary, yeah, ninety seven. And where would they be in, in the East? In, um, they would in, be behind Florida, Toronto, Hurricanes, and the Rangers. So they'd be fifth, one point ahead yeah, of Tampa. Like, uh, Edmonton, 200-point players, struggled so much that they were literally going to trade and fire every single person in the organization. And then you got Winnipeg, who literally Elliot Friedman and Darren Drager and I'm pretty sure Pierre LeBron all picked to be the best team in, in Canada. And they suck bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they've been a bust this year. I don't know what's what's happened to them because they've got they've got some good offensive players and even their their defensemen. They're not they've got a good a good roster on paper for sure. Yeah, and I'm hearing like Produced. I'm hearing on on the podcast that I listen to that Shifley might be available. Like, why don't you trade that plug Pierre Luc Dubois? Well, I, I mean, cannot when, stand that guy. When you won the Stanley Cup in January against the Leafs, you don't really have to worry about anything else. Oh yeah, Logan Stanley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and then and then uh, Dylan Demello in the next fight or next game won fight uh, Wayne Simmons, so he fought Kyle Clifford. Yeah, like, come on, give me a break. Oh, um, but then I mean, like Montreal, like no words need to be spoken about them. They made to the conference final or uh, playoff final last year, and now they suck. But now they've got never half, tell. half the points that the Leafs have. Yeah, you can never – it took them, what, three months to get 10 wins? But you can never say that to a Montreal fan because they'll yeah. say, we made to the finals last year, and you lost, so shut up. Uh, and then Ottawa. Um, I kind of like Ottawa's team, really. They've been better. They've been better. It's not than... the least fan to say, but I, I really like them. You're right, Kyle. They have been better. Yeah, better than last year for sure. These, I, I like what they did at the deadline. They got rid of some uh, – they got rid of, like, Nick Paul. They knew a guy that – he wasn't going to stay for the for next year and for the rebuild. So I, I got a uh, – I forget what – do you know what they actually got for Nick, Paul? Uh, I, I think – oh, Matthew Joseph, who has uh, 11 points or 11 goals or something in his time in, in Ottawa, and he had like 11 points or goals in his whole season with Tampa. Yeah, so they got Matthew Joseph, a guy who they're giving – I assume they're giving top minutes to now. Yeah, so he's, he's getting lots of ice time over there. I'm pretty sure he's a uh, he's from Quebec as well. So yeah, and his brother Laval. is Joseph from Pittsburgh. From Pittsburgh, yeah, yeah. He's he's from from Laval, Quebec. So um, yeah, it, he's been he's been averaging between 15 and up to 20 minutes a, a game there in Ottawa. So good for him. And they also got Travis Hamernick, who was a locker room cancer in Vancouver. Most people want him gone. So, uh, kind of interesting though that they picked him up on at the trade deadline, but they could have just claimed him off waivers like two months earlier. But I mean, whatever. Also, like Vancouver, they're still mathematically in the playoffs, like or not in the playoffs, but to make the playoffs. Bruce Boudreau, who I I really would have liked on the Leafs as an assistant coach, uh, done good things there. But Patrick Alvin, he seems ruthless. Their GM saying like anyone's available, they don't have no superstars. That's what he said in some like Swedish interview or something like that. 
Yeah, how's that going to make the players feel? I mean, they got JT Miller, who I think is their best player, and apparently they might be trying to trade Brock Besser because they don't want to qualify him at seven million. So, but yeah, I think I think. I mean, even even if I was a American hockey fan, I definitely would think that the Leafs are the best Canadian team. But for some reason, people are so uh, invested in Calgary because they've got a rough and tumble defense. But anyways, back to the Leafs. Want want to talk about playoff matchups before we uh we end this thing? Like I okay. mean, obviously, it's it's looking like Boston, but ideally, what what team would you guys like them to face and why? Like you said, it's it's looking like Boston, but it could be Tampa. I I don't know. I don't see the Leafs. Like I I'm saying right now, like the Leafs finishing first in the Atlantic. Like it, I don't think it's gonna happen. Florida's just been too good um so right now it looks like we'll be getting the second spot but i mean 10 games that's still still 20 points that you could potentially make up um not saying the leafs are going to win every single game but um yeah you got boston and you got tampa i don't know who i'd rather want to face um tampa's a big tough team so is boston but I know I'm thinking that I'd rather be facing uh, Boston in this situation. I just think they don't have the depth of scoring like Tampa does. They've got the the one uh, one big line, but that big line actually they've they've split between two lines. They put Pasta on the uh, on the second line with Hall and Halla. Um, so I I just don't think Boston has the the forward depth, the scoring depth that the Leafs have. So if you lock down that top line um, of DeBrusque, Marshan, and Bergeron, I think you can, you'll be fine. Um, they've got McAvoy and Lindholm on the back end. They're pretty solid. But other than those two, I don't, I don't think the other four defensemen they have are anything, anything special. So, yeah, I'd, I'd probably think Boston. I just Tampa in the playoffs are just too scary, and yeah, I don't know. I I wouldn't want to go anywhere near Tampa in the playoffs. Yeah, I mean, for me, I I've mentioned this before to you. I want Washington mostly because I don't want to lose to Boston or Tampa if we do end up losing. But like like Kyle said, trying to catch Florida might be a bit of an issue. Seeing how they're eight points ahead of us right now with only ten games left, so I've. I don't, of Tampa or Boston, I would say Boston, just because of the rivalry, and we need to get them back for beating us when they beat us last time. And and, and do you guys think the goaltending will be enough? Jack Campbell's been playing better. Shalgren. Yeah, that could be an be issue, too, because he was playing better at the beginning of the year, and then he kind of choked for a month and a bit. So if he could stay consistent, if he could play like he was at the beginning of the year, and at times the past couple games, he's played, I think then Jack Campbell could be enough to carry us to the next round at least. Shogren seems like he could be a, a reasonable backup. He's been playing well, minus the game in Florida there where he had a couple bad goals, but seeing how this is his first in in North American style hockey, I'm pretty sure he's, he seems to be acclimated to his role and, and what the team would need of him. 
Yeah, I think uh, I don't think he really played a game with. I think he was drafted by Arizona. I don't think he played a game with them. Um, it's it's kind of interesting for the future of the goalies because, like, I mean, Jack Campbell's probably going to resign uh, with Toronto, but they also signed Joseph Wall to a one way contract after this next season. Um, and if Shalgren can play decent, we might have two younger goalies that Toronto can develop, which will also help the cap situation. But yeah. at the same time. They could be Garrett Sparks. And they gave Joseph Wall that contract before calling up Shogun, right? Yeah. I feel like that contract, the wall was, you're going to be the backup next year for minor leagues and then call you up. But then Shogun came out of nowhere. and So now, yeah, those two, one of either of them, I think would be backup next year. But if you're going to re-sign Campbell and he wants, what, $6 million, then you're going to have to so. Allegedly what he... Well, yeah, People going by reports or rumors, yeah. But, I mean, at this point, that's all you can really go on because none of us know him or his agent, and they're not going to actually say. Yeah. Apparently, he turned down a contract uh, after, I think, the second month of the season that was similar to uh, the Peter Morazic contract, and he turned it down, which was dollars per. So, Well, that, at this point, you, you know he's going to want a lot more than um, – than what Mrazic's getting and because of how he plays. But he's like every goal, a lot of goalies. Well, I mean, you can't say Vasilevsky's streaky because that guy's just a different breed. But Campbell's streaky. Like right now, we're, we're fortunate that he's been pretty solid. But, yeah, he, he can be – he has his off days for sure. So I don't know if if you want to be spending $7 million on him or – I don't know what he wants 100% at this point. Who knows? It could have changed. Yeah. And if you do, I mean, if you don't, sorry, you want to give him the six or seven, then who else is there? Like, I, I don't know who the free agent goalies are going to be this offseason, but are any of them going to be, or their play going to be any better than what Jack Campbell's going to give you? And are they going to want any less than what Jack Campbell's going to want if they're a bigger name goalie? I feel like if, at this point, the Leafs are just going to stick with them until they don't need them anymore. If they need to give them that $6 million, then they have to somehow find a way to clear the – if that's what he wants, somehow find a way to clear that. I, I know that players don't always want to go back to where they, they came from, but I think that the draw of how um, Detroit's goaltending has gone this season, I know that they do have uh, a prospect of guy's name, um, but – like they do have a goalie prospect that they will use. Jack Campbell's from Michigan. He grew up a, a Detroit Red Wings fan. I feel like if Toronto doesn't offer him six and Detroit offers him, you know, two years, six million or five million, whatever, I think the draw of playing in his hometown or close to his hometown will help. Which I think will be a blessing for Toronto. I like Jack Campbell somewhat. Um, he's not my favorite. Uh, but I, I think the draw of having him uh here for a couple of years until Joseph Wall or until we get someone else. Uh, Ian Scott was supposed to also be a guy, but obviously that didn't work out due to injury. I'm just trying to look. They're going for agents. There's Thomas Grice, which isn't an upgrade. Halak isn't an upgrade. Corpusalo, Holpe, Martin Jones, obviously Campbell. Um, uh, McKay is also a free agent. I don't see Toronto giving him more than three and a half. Yeah, I don't see them giving them more than that. Yeah, I don't even know if they give them give them that at this point. 
and this this relates back to the the young guys that uh, that we were talking about, like Robertson, uh, Brzezzi. Um If he was gone, then maybe Pierre Engvall's uh, role goes up a little bit. He's a little bit cheaper. He'd be a little bit cheaper still, and then you could slot in a Robertson and play him, uh, give him a lot more permanent playing time rather than flopping him back and forth between the Marlies. Yeah, Pierre Engvall is a um, RFA, and he makes 1.25 right now. I could see potentially 1.5 maybe for a year or two. He seems like the guy, a type of guy that would take take less because he's, Sheldon Keith's been his coach for basically since he came to Toronto. I think that that could be a role that he could slot into. Uh, Colin Black was also UFA. He makes 7.25. And McKay on forward. And then Jason Spezza, but I think he's going to be a a guy that they uh, they keep along. Uh, Lilligren, Labushkin, free agents. Labushkin, I hope they sign. And Mar- uh, Mark Giordano, I hope they give him the Spezza treatment. 7.50, even a million. And then they should, I think they should trade Hall, trade Morazic. Morazic's 3.8. Kerfoot. Uh, Hall's Hall's too, yeah. Kerfoot, I like Kerfoot, but he's making 3.5 for another two years, or one year after this. That's what, uh, almost $10 million in, in cap. I personally think I would trade Jake Muzzin. I, I like Jake Muzzin, but 5.625, um, that, and, and, and that clears up. That's almost like $15 million, $14 million that you can go in and use. Uh, Lilligrand Sandin's a, an RFA. Those guys are going to probably get bridge contracts. And of course, I think we already mentioned, but Justin Hall, two million till twenty three, twenty four. I don't see them getting rid of Muslim, but I, I feel like they yeah, like his guy. his uh, somewhat stability on the back end, with Lilligren and Sandy not really having fully proved that they're capable of stepping up their role on defense as of yet. I feel like they'll bring them back just so that they have that extra guy on the back end that. It's a veteran who can. Yeah. I don't feel like they're going to get rid of McCabe, especially since how in the last what six games he's been like a penalty kill specialist. If if he can continue that into next year, I think that's a, incredibly valuable to have in your bottom six. And I feel like they're going to give him. I mean, I mean, like they're going to give him more than what they would in Engvall. And though Engvall's good, I feel like if McCabe can continue this penalty kill streak, then he'll, I think he's more valuable to the team than Engvall is. I just I can't believe sometimes like people people hate on Kyle Dubas for for I don't even know why um, but if you think about it like David Camp one and a half for two well I guess yeah two years um, Andre Kasha who before his last concussion was a beast one point two five plus he's an RFA so Toronto has the right to sign him obviously um, he, he turned Nick Ritchie into Ilya Labushkin. You got Colin Blackwell, who's a guy he's wanted for forever. I mean, now McKayev's contract looks like a piece of cake, 1.645. And then Pierre Ingvall at 1.25. Like, those are guys, those are contracts that, I mean, Ingvall I wouldn't give three to, but those are contracts that are really looking. That's the mean potatoes of Toronto after the core. Like, that's that's the guys who help you win or lose hockey games. And, and those guys are signed to a collective like what six million dollars? That's pretty impressive. Yeah, and 
even if it is he does bring in or make a bad contract, then he uh, it seems like he's able to move it out for something that becomes even more valuable. When Nick Ritchie signed with the Leafs, he was supposed to be the Zach Hyman before Bunting took over that role. And then he kind of didn't do anything with the Leafs, and they moved him up for Labushkin, who's been pretty playing pretty well. So if he does make another bad move, then it's always in the back of people's mind that he could move it out for something that to bring in something that's just as valuable. Yeah, that 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 move that's in the back of my mind that he, I think he's going to try and pull off is Peter Morazic. I think there is teams like, for example, I heard the other day. Buffalo wants to keep Craig Anderson. He hasn't committed to anything, but Craig uh, Craig Anderson is garnering some interest by other teams to bring him in as a backup goalie. They may, they need a goalie because Devin Levi is committed back to going to Northeastern. Peter Mrazek might work there um, as a backup potentially in Arizona. Arizona is essentially just looking for players who have term because no one's going to want to play in that arena. Um. But also, the tricky thing about him is if he's injured at the end of the year, he can get medically um, like deemed still injured by the time the first buyout window comes. And then I don't think Toronto can buy him out because he's uh, deemed unfit to play. But he could find himself on Robita Island, that's for sure, at the start of the year. I could also see um, I could also see Mrazic potentially going to Edmonton. I mean, they've had that that tandem of Koskinen and Smith for how long? And they've always talked about goaltending. I thought they were going to go out and get uh, like a Jake Allen or a Semyon Varlamov at the trade deadline. But yeah, they, and, and, and Koskinen is a free agent this year too, which exactly. helps them. Uh, the other person that I, I heard that Toronto and Edmonton might have a little interest in is Philly Huso. Uh, I mean, obviously, a lot of teams will have interest in him. He's a he's a free agent at the end of the year if, if St. Louis can't get a deal done before that. But will they with Jordan Binghamton? Like, that's there's a chance that he hits the open market. And if he does, I mean, I wouldn't be mad at Toronto for doing it, but I see Edmonton uh, taking a big stab at him. Um. But yeah, I'm just going to plug the, the social media aspect again. Uh, if you guys want to follow us, it's uh, I'll throw it in the, in the tweet when we tweet on the podcast. It's at Leaves Forever Pod. Um, the Instagram is Leaves Talk Forever. If you hit the link, you'll see the links to the different social medias. You'll see our PayPal. We are interested in doing um, polls and, and, and viewer ideas. Um, and as the pod goes on, we will have our own segments. Um, we might bring up the Jays a little bit. Um, yeah, Raptors touch for playoffs. Yeah, Raptors for playoffs. We might touch uh, a little bit more on uh, different ideas for free agencies for all teams. I mean, obviously, we're leaf-themed, but we're all our, uh, all our uh, hockey lovers, so we'll uh, we'll get that started later this week. Um, and uh, potential hardware that he can win. I did uh, personally wrote an article on that. Uh, it's on the Twitter. But, uh, yeah, there's been some conversation about that, so we'll touch on that. Thanks for listening, and see you Friday.